I knew with the uh, children sharing their music this morning, I would just have an abbreviated time uh, for uh, a message. So what I'd like to do is just bring a, a very uh, brief, uh, uh, I'll call it a Christmas uh, devotional, but uh, I trust it will be impactful, and I trust that it will sort of set the tone for uh, you and uh, your loved ones as we uh, enter this uh, Christmas season. And I simply want to raise the question, you know, what really is the Christmas spirit? You use that, uh, we, we hear that phrase tossed around uh, all the time at this time of year, uh, the Christmas spirit. Well, what is that Christmas spirit? I mean, is it just these uh, beautiful uh, decorations and all the beautiful lights? Is it uh, the sentiment expressed in all of the Christmas cards? Is it the time that we have with the family and friends and the good meals? Is the spirit of Christmas just a spirit of, of giving and uh, generosity? And again, uh, all of those things are wonderful, but I don't think they actually capture the, uh, the essence, the very heart of what the Bible would express as the true Christmas spirit. So uh, please take your Bibles. There is no PowerPoint uh, for this or sermon notes. Again, just a brief little uh, devotional, but if I would like you to take your Bible and turn to Luke uh, chapters well, 1 and 2. And uh, to discover the Christmas spirit, we're going to do something very simple. We're just going to go back to the Christmas story. And we're going to look at the various characters, uh, players, actors that were involved in that particular drama as uh, Jesus was uh, born and see how they responded, see the spirit that they expressed. And I pray God will give us the grace to enter this same uh, spirit. Well, let's, take, let's begin with uh, Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth was the uh, cousin of, uh, of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And uh, Elizabeth had become pregnant prior to Mary. She, of course, gave birth to who? John the Baptist. And you remember uh, early in Mary's pregnancy, uh, at this time Elizabeth is pretty far on into her pregnancy, she visits she visits Elizabeth, and uh, they have this incredible uh, encounter. And uh, look at verse 41, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. John the Baptist literally leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb uh, for joy. I simply want you to notice what was Elizabeth's response? What was her spirit? She what? She blessed the Lord. She blessed the fruit of Mary's womb. Go to her husband Zacharias over in uh, verse 67. Of course, Zacharias was uh, Elizabeth's husband, uh, John the Baptist's uh, father. And notice, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Notice, the response of Elizabeth and Zacharias were identical. They may have used different words, but both what? Blessed the Lord. They both praised Him. They both worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is and the reason for which He had come to earth to bring redemption 
uh, to uh, his people. Go over into chapter 2 of uh, Luke and notice uh, the angels. Notice the angels in verse 10 that announced his birth. Uh, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be to all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and cloths and uh, living in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, notice now, praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So again, what was the response of the angels? They brought glory to God. Look at the shepherds. They did the same thing. They just reflected, they just mirrored uh, the angels' praise to Jesus. Verse 20, And the shepherds went back, notice, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and been and been told. Uh, look further in chapter 2. He's, uh, Jesus is presented eight days after his birth in the temple uh, for circumcision. Uh, he is met by a man named uh, Simeon, who uh, we're told in verse 25 was a very righteous, devout man, uh, looking for the consolation of Israel. In other words, looking for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, verse 26, and it says, and it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, and notice again, just like Elizabeth and Zacharias, the angels and the shepherds, he blessed God. And he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And it says, And his father and Mary, Joseph and and Mary, mother, were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Look at Anna, uh, the prophetess, who was also in the temple, an elderly widow lady who had uh, given herself to a devotion to God uh, through fasting and prayers. And verse 38 And at the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So notice, every single character, what was the spirit they entered on that first Christmas? One of praise, one of worship, one of glorifying God. Uh, Turn over to Matthew chapter 2. You see this same thing with the uh, wise men. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 2, it says, they, they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to what? To worship him. And then notice what happens when they do arrive uh, where Jesus was. Verse 9, and having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So again, you see this tremendous response of worship that motivated them to give these sacrificial gifts. Now go back to Luke chapter 
one. Uh, I purposely skipped uh, probably uh, the most important uh, figure, character in the, uh, in the Christmas story besides Jesus, and that's, of course, was his mother, Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, you have this wonderful hymn of praise uh, that she sings, that she rejoices uh, in, uh, in Jesus. And uh, just for the sake of time, just look at verses 46, 47, the first part of verse 48. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Now, folks, those three verses really capture every one of the characters in the Christmas story and how they responded to the birth of Christ. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he is had he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Now let me just mention as we close three things about true worship. Three things about the true spirit of Christmas. What it means to enter that true spirit of Christmas. And the first thing notice here that worship is something that is internal. It's internal. Look go back to Luke 1 again verses 46 and 7. Notice she says my soul exalts the Lord. Verse 40, and my spirit has rejoiced. See, true worship always arises from the inside. It's something that bubbles up on the inside and then just bubbles over on the outside. See, worship is simply responding to God with a heart that's so full of love and appreciation and adoration for who He is and what He did for you that you simply cannot contain it. Uh, 1 John 4.19 says, we love Him, why? Because He first loved us. Worship is just our response of love for His love for us. Matthew 22, Jesus said, this is the greatest of all the commandments, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength. This is the first and greatest of the commandments. And so notice, worship involves my entire inner being. It's not just going through some sort of outward ritual. I mean, you can sing the hymns. You can read the scriptures. You can go to the candlelight service. You can go to the Christmas service. And you may never enter worship, although you may be doing all of those things outwardly because worship is something that involves my entire inner being. It involves my mind, my, my intellect. As, as I begin to comprehend all that my mind can comprehend at that time about God, as I focus my attention on God. Uh, Colossians 3 says, set your mind on what? Things above. Not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It also involves not just my intellect, but what? My heart, my soul, my emotions. Uh, my heart begins to feel all that he can feel about God. And, and those affections then have to be expressed to God. Habakkuk 3.18, yes, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And let me just add, Jesus made it very, very clear that when there is no passion in, in, in worship, when there's no true feeling where it really touches the heart, and you're captured in your inner being. He says that worship uh, means nothing to him. 
He said in Matthew 15, this people honors me with their lips. In other words, they say the words, they sing the songs, they go through the services, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. So as I focus on who God is, what, what He's done for me, that should ignite my passions, my emotions, my affections to where I can't contain that, and that must be lavished on God. But notice, my entire inner being, not just my intellect, not just my affections and my emotions, my passions, but also my will, my strength, my might, it becomes consumed with a desire to use my life, to use my abilities, to honor God, uh, to serve God. I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So, so the first thing that we discover about the true Christmas spirit is that it involves worship, and worship is something that is internal. It arises from the inside and then moves outward. The second thing I want you to notice is true worship, and the true Christmas spirit is immensely intense. Not just internal, but intense. Notice Mary said, my soul exalts, or some of your Bible says magnifies the Lord, and then she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, uh, Brother Andy, you're going to love this right here. I hate to even give you more fuel. For, you don't, I don't think you need any more. But that, look at that word exalts or magnifies. In the Greek text, the word is megaluno, and you know that term mega. Like over here, on both sides, these little boxes, those are mega bases. They give you more base than you'd ever want or dream to have uh, if, if you desired it. And, and the point is that word mega means loud. It means big. It means intense. It means extravagant. And in the true Christmas spirit, as we come to worship Christ, yes, it's internal, but as that's internalized, it has to be expressed. And when it's expressed, it's expressed in an intense manner, in a loud manner, in a, in a, in a very extravagant manner, deep, deep manner. Uh, the word rejoiced, the word rejoiced. It says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. In the Greek text, that is a compound word. And you'll love this. The, the first word means very much. That's what it means. It just simply means very much. And the second word means to leap. That's what, the, that's what that word means. To leap very much. In other words, it's about getting excited, about getting enthused. Again, there's this thought that worship begins on the inside. It is, it is internal. Again, with my mind, my emotions, my will. But as it's internal, I can't contain it. It just explodes outwardly in an intense fashion. And I just want to leap. I just want to shout. I just want to express my love and my, my adoration 
to him. In other words, it's to be overjoyed. Again, that joy, a joy that cannot be contained. I love the phrase that Peter used. He talked about a joy that is inexpressible. And this is very, very important. And all the Bible writers emphasize this. This is also a joy that's not affected by circumstances. It's a joy that, that uh, doesn't change with fluctuating circumstances. Why? Because it's focused on the unchanging God. It's focused on a God who will keep his promises. A God who has pardoned me from all my sin and said, I will remember your sins no more. A God who's at work in my heart and in my life, who dwells in me and will be my protector and my provider. I mean, just, just, just think about that. I mean, that, to me, that's just the wonder of God's grace. You know, you go to somewhere like uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and what do you read there? You, you, you discover that apart from Christ, we are depraved, sinners, lost, dead, separated from God. We are doomed. But then there's that, that great, well, let me just, just read that, that latter part for you. But then it says, but in God's great mercy, tells us what he did, what he did for us. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So those of us that were dead, depraved, and doomed, He loved us, He liberated us, and He lifted us. He lifted us. And so, as, and I realize He loves me, I'll never get over this. God loves me as much as he loves his son Jesus. If you're his child, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, because of the fact that you are in Christ, you have been made Christ's brother, the Father, God is your Father as well, you're his (coughs) child, and he loves you. Excuse me. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. He's committed to protect you, to provide for you as much as he's committed to protect and provide Jesus. He is committed to glorify you as he glorified his son in order that you might finish the work he's given you to do here on earth as he was committed to glorify his son to finish the work he had given him to do here on earth. So worship is internal. Worship is intense. And notice the last thing. Worship is humble. It's humble. Look at verse 48, going back to uh, the Luke passage, Luke chapter 1. It says, for he has, regard, he, he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And, and why is worship always humble? Because it's not centered on me. It's centered on God. And it's centered on his greatness. And it's all about exalting him. It's all about magnifying him. Uh, you know, when we were going through our study of the book of Philippians, uh, uh, when we were there in chapter 1, uh, we talked about the intense desire that Paul had uh, to exalt, uh, to magnify uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, this is my earnest hope and expectation, that uh, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that right now, as always, with boldness, Christ will be exalted in my body 
whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I mention that, that God has called you and I as believers to be telescopes in what? Microscopes, right. And what does a telescope do? It brings something that uh, is at a distance up close. And there are so many people that you rub shoulders with at work, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, family, friend members. They only see Jesus as some remote figure in history that has no impact or influence upon their lives or the affairs of this world. But God wants to use your life, your testimony, to bring Christ up close and personal to those individuals. But also a microscope. And what does a microscope do? It it exalts. It makes big something that appears to be very small. And for so many people in this world, they see Jesus as being just totally insignificant. As someone very, very small. And you have the opportunity through your life to demonstrate, through your worship, through that spirit of Christmas, just how great, how good, how magnificent God is. So, what is the spirit of Christmas? It is a spirit of worship. And that spirit of worship is internal. It's very intense. And, of course, it involves humility. As I bow myself in surrender to my God and my King, to submit to His authority, to serve to His agenda, to seek His approval, and I do all of that out of delight because I simply cannot contain uh, the love and the affection and appreciation and the adoration that I feel in my heart for who He is and what He's done for me. Bow with me in prayer. Father, simple prayer that as we enter uh, this Christmas season, that by your mercy, you would allow us to know the true Christmas spirit, uh, a spirit of worship, where we would take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and we would place them on our beautiful and magnificent, glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we choose to focus on Him, I pray that You would reignite our emotions and our passions in knowing Jesus is our first love. And that, Lord, it would become so overwhelming that we literally would not be able to contain it. And that we truly would be intense in our worship. And that we would love Him as He ought to be loved. Lord, You have chosen us to be the very bride of Jesus Christ. So for His glory, for His namesake, Lord, be that power at work in us. That we would love, worship, adore Him as He ought to be loved, worshipped, and adored. And then, Lord, uh, I pray that we would know true humility. Uh, Lord, we would see that apart from You, that we truly are depraved sinners that have been separated from God, that we are doomed uh, to the eternal trash heap called hell, uh, to know everlasting punishment and torment, yet in your infinite mercy uh, you saved us when we were dead in our trespasses, and you loved us You set your heart and your affections on us. By your power, you liberated us from uh, uh, our sin. 
not only the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin. And you've lifted us uh, to be your brothers, to be very sons of God, uh, to be loved by God uh, as much as he loves uh, his only beloved, most precious son, Jesus. And Lord, that is just something I don't think any of us will ever be able to get over. Uh, that you love us with that type of intensity. And Lord, if you love us with such intensity, uh, how can we not reciprocate uh, with that love? So Lord, uh, that is my prayer uh, for us as individuals, for a church family. Set us free uh, to worship, to enter the true spirit of Christmas. Again, a worship that would be internal, intense, and humble. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.